0: Hey folks, this is Josh Schlossberg. Welcome to the Green Root Podcast. For this episode, we have Tim Hermack. Tim Hermack is the executive director of Native Forest Council. He is also my former boss. I worked for Native Forest Council back in, I think it was around 2004 to 2007. I don't know, I could have the dates wrong. But Tim taught me more about environmentalism than any person who's alive today. And that's not an exaggeration. So I'm really excited to have Tim on the podcast. So welcome, Tim.
1: Why, thank you, Josh.
0: So you're still out there in Eugene, Oregon. Affirmative. And you have been following basically the decline and maybe some would even say the demise of the environmental movement for quite a long time. There's some folks who are now coming out and saying, you know what, it might be that the environmental movement isn't doing its job quite well. And you've been saying that for decades.
1: Yes, since the late 80s.
0: So let's take a little trip back into history and see how much has really changed. So what was going on when you first started to get involved with environmental issues? How did you start getting engaged with them?
1: My father was the editor of the local Sierra Club newsletter. And he and my mother went on a vacation and he asked me to finish a newsletter for the club that he had almost finished. And I said, sure. At that time, it was four uh, mimeograph sheets of paper stapled together. And when I got into it, I realized he hadn't put much together. And so I got out you know, with some of my business stuff, and pictures and other things, and found a place where we could get more information printed, cheaper, And we put out a a rather pithy forest voice. Or at that time it was called the, the runoff newsletter for the club. Okay. And, you know, things that the club wanted. And I realized that the Sierra Club didn't want us to say those things rather quickly. I got a letter from Carl Pope saying this was wrong. I had to clear it with headquarters before we put out any opinions or attitudes like that. So what were you it saying?
0: What were you saying that was controversial? Just,
1: just that when I looked at the Willamette National Forest plan, there was nothing good about it. It was all a logging plan, one logging option after another. There were no no logging And Teddy Roosevelt I was familiar with, having uh, saved the national forest or created the forest preserves at the time to protect them from the insatiable appetites of industry. And he said, if we didn't protect them, the industry would get them all. They would take the last tree telling whatever fiction, story, advertising, propaganda they had to to get the public to go along with it. Mm -hmm. And everything I knew, Says, you know, law of organization. Where am I at? Where am I going? How am I going to get there? And then how do I monitor it for necessary course corrections? Sure. That's just business. The environment doesn't. The environmental movement doesn't do that. Okay. They sit down at a table with bad guys, logging people, logging people's politicians, and with agencies, federal logging agencies. Forest Service, BLM, and others. And then they negotiate and cut the baby in half. And cut the baby in half. And cut the baby in half. They've been doing it for seventy-five years and now we have almost nothing left. Yeah. So back when I started we had about ten percent left. Right. Now we have what? I'm... Diddly squat.
0: I don't even I can't know read the numbers. From
1: any stream, no, it's very, very small. So, and what we do have are in bits and pieces, fragments all over the place. None of them is an intact ecosystem.
0: Right, absolutely. And I experienced that. I mean, across the country, especially when I was living out there in Oregon, Oregon forests out there, the native forests, they have some of the most beautiful forests I've ever seen. But then it's also some of the most hideous landscapes I've ever seen. It's a weird juxtaposition. Yeah. But so this was back in the day, this was around what, in the, the 80s when you were starting to engage with- Late 80s. Late 80s. And so you just came at it with a pretty rational, basic viewpoint. Hey, our job is to advocate for the natural world and it's not to propose half measures. It's not to bargain with those who are not interested in protecting the natural world, right? Like pretty pretty basic, it seems like that. If you talk to your average person who cares about the world- they would expect environmental groups to be
1: doing that. Right. Yep. And at that time there was nobody doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I started getting a part of native forest council, that's when I started to understand that just because you call yourself an environmentalist or you're a part of an environmental movement, doesn't necessarily always mean that you are doing your best to advocate for that natural world. So starting with that whole newsletter thing, that's definitely not where it ended for you. Where, where did it go from there?
1: No, it just started a big fight within the Sierra Club. You know, Chad Hansen and David Orr were organizers for us within the Sierra Club and pretty soon we got, I think, half of the groups and chapters of the Sierra Club to endorse saving what was left. We had logged too much, the forests were being hurt by logging, and it was time to stop so that we could protect not only the native forest, but their topsoil, their air, their clean water, their climate and weather, the fish and wildlife, all the things forests support. You know, it's a euphemism. People all talk about it. These are the lungs of the planet. But they don't realize that that's literally the truth. Mm-hmm. Without those forests, we humans would never have existed on this earth.
0: Exactly. Yeah, we come those from the forest. Forests, we depend on yep. the forest literally for survival. This is not just, oh, I like to hike out there or it's pretty no. to look at.
1: Yep. And the funny thing is, halfway into my work, people were telling me, Hermack, you should be saying, save the private forests too. Hmm. Because they're all part of the forest commonwealth this country used to have. Right. And so it that- takes all of the forests of the world so that we have a, a, a living life support system supporting human existence as well as all other lives right. on earth as, as we know it.
0: So when did you first start up Native Forest Council?
1: 89.
0: Okay, 89. And that basically came out of being a part of Sierra Club stuff, realizing it wasn't doing enough, realizing that they weren't even interested in you telling them that and improving it. So you started up your own thing called Native Forest Council.
1: Yeah. David Brower, one of the board members of the club or founding members, he was on our board too. And he said, Hermac Set up your own organization, do what you know best, run a small business, and approach it like you do with a business. Hmm. You know, what are the costs, what are the benefits, and then make their various arguments. And so Brower was one of our original board members also, and we set it up And as he had uh, suggested. And it quickly became quite viable. You know, zero cuts, saving what's left. How bad could it get? It's not like we have 100% of our forests and we can afford to give up 5%. We're nice. down to 90 or less percent of our forests remaining. No, 90% of our forests gone right. with yeah. less than 10% remaining. Yeah. And we're bickering and fighting and quarreling over how much and the terms and conditions of more logging to get rid of some of it. Right. Absolute insanity. Yeah. And my point was, where's the cost of goods sold? The Forest Service claims it's zero. That the natural resource capital asset that they're selling to the timber industry for some amount of money isn't valued on the books as having even that amount of value. Yep. When the full replacement cost, as anyone can see, by going to an amortization chart at the bank or the real estate office or an insurance company, if you put a, the cost of planting a tree six or seven bucks into the bank at 6% to replace a 500-year-old tree, that's an ungodly amount of money. Yes. A 1,000-year-old tree is more money than all the billionaires on earth have. Yep. That's the cost of one tree. And these damn fools, in the, or the very skilled, shrewd liars <laughs> in the timber industry say, we plant one for every one we cut. And my grandmother said, yeah, that's like taking someone's life and saying to the government, well, here's a handful of sperm. That's a million four. I'm giving you a million four for every one we kill. So what do you want? Yeah. It's just as dumb because everybody knows one pup tent isn't worth as much as somebody's house. Yes. And I can give them six pup tents. And it doesn't make up for the loss of their house.
0: Well, that's what I realized. The damn
1: environmental movement doesn't make those layman's language arguments that have value to everybody.
0: I agree. Yeah, I agree. When I moved out west to work on forest issues, I went driving, I remember, out in the coast range there, and I went and looked at just all these trees around me. I was like, all right, well, they they look the same. They're all the same age and pushed together, but this is a forest. Wow, it's doing pretty well. But then I realized over time, no, that was a plantation. Sure, there were trees, but it's different just having trees clumped together the same age. The uh, It's not really an ecosystem compared to a living forest. So that's a lot of what you talk about. With native forest council. And that's what I started to understand the difference between those plantation forests, where you say you go in there and you clear cut a forest and then you plant it with a uh, specific commercial tree species. And then the logging industry will say, Hey, look, look at all, there's more trees than there's ever been. And it's like, well, maybe that's true. I, I don't think that that's true and it's at not, all. But, it's not true, you know. but let's say there's more trees than there's been over the last couple decades, perhaps, but there's not more forest. That's definitely nope. not the case.
1: They're cutting more than they plant.
0: Yeah, and, and that's and absolutely- That planting is
1: irrelevant. That's like putting in an astroturf lawn. Right. That's not grass, it's not a forest, it's a woodlot.
0: Yes, so you mentioned the public versus private forest. So the, the concept of zero cut, so what is that?
1: Save what's left. If we care about the survival of humanity on this earth, we will stop cutting down living beings, trees, and turning them into toilet paper, newsprint, paper, and building products. Everything we currently make out of wood or trees has an alternative that is easily viable. Hmm. of the planet, there is no alternative. We need these trees. If we care about human survival, we will stop cutting them down. It's a very costly process, we not only lose a priceless and irreplaceable asset, a tree, a forest, its topsoil, its water, air, and fish and wildlife, climate and weather, those are priceless and irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. And we're losing those to get something that's never in the in the consumer stream long enough to make it valuable. The Swiss, Swiss countries in Switzerland, they make building codes of 300 and 500 years you can't build something out of wood or anything else that doesn't last at least 300 years. Think about it. America, in contrast, we don't build something that's going to last 20 or 30 years sometimes. Yep. That's stupid. We're a throwaway country with a throwaway society and a throwaway culture. Yeah. Oh, but we value Wall Street and billions of dollars of wealth acquisition. Ah, but all that money and wealth isn't a damn pittance compared to the value of what's been lost. Happiness, security, health, well-being, lungs of the planet, ample clean water everywhere, no degradation or loss of topsoil. We don't do that. Mm Yep. And then then you go to the Sierra Club, oh, Tim, that would upset Senator Hatfield, or that mm-hmm. would upset some of our funders, or that would upset, gee, at Christmas. Are you guys the nature conservancy, the real estate company, the environmental group that cares? Yep. Or are you somebody that's standing up for something? None of them have a line in the sand. Everything they do makes a bad thing a little better, if they won. But that usually insulates the bad guys and guarantees the bad guys that they can continue doing it, just new terms and conditions. Right. And that's wrong. That's not gonna excite the public. Just yep. like Biden and Hillary, they can't excite the public. Bernie did. Mm-hmm. He spoke to all the people, not just Democrats or independents or Republicans, he spoke to all the people, common interests, common concerns. The environmental movement, if it was of any value, would do the same. They don't, because they're too caught up, they're too big, they're too old, they're now managed like a financial institution, protecting its future revenue sources. And like the Democratic Party, they feel they gotta pander to the big money corporations, and billionaires. We know how that works.
0: Well, that was something that you really called to my attention when I started working for you years ago, is... I used to think, well, okay, so we have the Republicans. It's clear the Republicans are not supporters of the natural world, for the most part, even though Nixon was the one who created EPA and stuff like that. But let's just Teddy say that, Right, exactly. But let's yeah. just say modern day Republicans are not going to be the ones who are going to be advancing a lot of environmental legislation. So it's like, oh, well, the Democrats are. But then you pointed out some stuff about Bill Clinton and logging plants. So do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. It was really interesting when Bill Clinton got elected in '82, '92. Yeah. Uh, Dwyer had just issued a decision, uh, Judge Dwyer in the Pacific Northwest forests. He banned any further logging of ancient forests, native old big native forests with big old trees. Well, that pretty much shut down sales that hadn't been cut yet and future sales that were on the table for planning, all this kind of stuff. Well, Bill Clinton called together this forest council up in Portland, one of the first acts as president after his inauguration. I think March of 93, yeah, March of 93, and he, he got a very few reasonable environmentalists to sit at the table, but thirty or more people from industry and politics and all other walks of life, none of whom really cared about the environment. And of course, what did they end up doing? They came up and it dictated that they set up a forest task force that you know a forest plan and option nine was the best we could do, which was another logging plan. Hmm. And Jim Bertel of Calmy Office, Audubon and I, we came up with option minus nine. Hmm. Well, we needed to save what was left and get back much of what had been lost. If we cared about the survival of humanity, we would save what's left and recover desperately as fast as we can everything that had been lost. Yeah. It, it wasn't going to be possible, but that would be our goal. Mm-hmm. And it made sense, sure. and it held together. And when we went to Washington, D.C., and met with Peter Milius at the Washington Post and Bob Semple at the New York Times, big editors and the big editor of PBS, they were astonished. And one of them turned to another and said, you know something, I've been at this desk for 30 years. at Never, and I've had hundreds of environmental meetings, and nobody has ever said anything that made as much sense. Mm -hmm. Stop now, save what's left, protect what you've got. It is the natural resource commonwealth, and I hate using the word resource because soil, air, and water is not a resource that I can parcel out and buy and sell. It's a commonwealth. It's something that belongs to all people. Mm -hmm. And nobody should have the right to use it as a toilet or a savings account to be liquidated for their own personal benefit, which is what happens now. So the
0: Democrats. So the Democrats were basically folks back in the day, particularly when it came to this Clinton situation, who encouraged the logging to start again. Is that true? Yep.
1: Yep. That's what Clinton did. He cut it in half and restarted logging and said they could only sell half of the sales they had planned. Okay. And certain areas were more protected than others. Yep. So And he, he boasted about it afterwards. Jim Lyons, Bruce Babbitt, all of his people, George Frampton, they all said, you know, we, we restarted logging. Yeah. We saved the timber industry and all those logging jobs. Unfortunately, it was all bullshit because most of the trees cut in the Pacific Northwest get exported unfinished without any value-added processing jobs as logs, chips, cants, birches, pulp, now pellets, and chips. How crazy are we? Cutting down forests so we can send them overseas as if that's all we were worth. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, China
1: makes finished products, but we don't.
0: Right that was what was a huge surprise to me. So that opened my eyes up to, well, maybe the Democrats in some ways are better on the environment, some ways not apparently, but they're certainly not the answer. And basically that made it so I could never work for a mainstream environmental group after that, because to me, it seemed like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that most of what's going on with the environmental movement is just in lockstep with the Democratic Party. Like they're the same thing. Would you say that's
1: true? Yep. They're, they're both part and parcel of the same beast. Yep. Money—they're bought and paid for by money, and they've got both uh, funder-source relationships they want to protect, and they've got political relationships they want to protect. Good point. Even when those political relationships are hurting their fundamental issue cause for existence.
0: Yes. Well, that's I think important to point out. So there are the political aspect kissing up to politicians, things like that, and then there's the funders, so we're talking about corporate foundations for the most part,
1: right? Yep, both industry and foundations, and then industry-approved grants through the Forest Service or Department of Interior or the foundations that get money from those industry groups. When you look at the behemoth of how much money floats around in our political world To think we've got any kind of representational democracy is nuts. Mm -hmm. We've seen the elections being stolen. There is no credibility or honor in our election process between gerrymandering, uh, voter suppression, and then black box voting. You know, hackers manipulating, even if it's the political party, manipulating vote results, Mm -hmm. the count. Holy Toledo. And then you look at the people sitting down, all the watershed councils, three people that are reasonable and moderate and negotiable on the environment, where there's 30 agency and industry and political representations of those watershed councils. Yep. Folks, that's all that's been going on. Logging is not decreasing, it's increasing. More and more of it is getting exported. It's, we're losing more and more value-added jobs, timber jobs. We've got more and more monster machines doing more and more work, and the forests are suffering even worse than they have in the past.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's... And
1: anybody today can go look for themselves. Yes. Just go to Google Earth, Bing Maps, you know Google Earth Pro. Pick any spot, and then just go round and round and round as you gain altitude, and you can see it stretches from horizon to horizon.
0: And you might not we'll have, have seen like it though, because power,
1: the gates of hell.
0: because unless you actually go out into these forests into the areas uh, that are beyond the beaten path, you might not see a lot of this. So they have that concept of the beauty strip where they leave up some of the forests. But if you hike in further and further, you'll find the hacked apart landscapes. And that's what I spent a lot of time doing in Oregon to the point where it almost became traumatic, (laughs) to the point where it almost became perverse with me, where I would seek out the ugliest landscape so I could get a photograph of it to show people. And I think it had an impact on me. Not a good thing. Luckily here out in Colorado, there's not as much, but I actually just stumbled on a logging operation the other day. So there's this state wildlife area, which is kind of this hybrid area for hiking and hunting. It's kind of odd. Anyway, I was hiking on the edge of it and I wanted to go into the national forest. I was kind of off trail and then through the wilderness area and literally right up to the boundary of the state land and the national forest land, there were just hacked apart landscapes, like literally right up to where the fence was. So there was a fence where it said national forest on one side and then the state forest on the other. So they they cut right up to that. Line and I talk to them, and it's it's something to do with some wildlife stuff that doesn't quite that doesn't quite really make a lot of sense, but it's going on everywhere. Oregon is probably Oregon in the Pacific Northwest has been the hotbed of that over the last decades though that's for sure but so it's public lands, so zero cut on public lands the concept of no, not another tree on public lands, but you're also saying it's not enough to just address public lands we have to look at. Private forests, which are corporate owned forests owned by the logging industry or even individuals, right?
1: Yes, even though the national forests have been caught, become logging war zones, the private lands are worse.
0: How? How so? How are they worse?
1: They're even more slaughtered. Yeah. I mean, they just strip it and then poison it with chemicals, herbicides, fungicides, and pesticides. They burn. They do all kinds of really poor judgment decisions to try to make forests grow bigger and faster. Yes. When most people who know anything about wood know the faster a tree grows, the less structural strength it has. Yep. Because it's three rings per inch instead of a hundred. And we've cut most of those big old trees that are really tight vertical grain, high quality construction material. Those are almost gone entirely. And now they're cutting, and now they're trying to make oriented strand board, and they're making cross laminated beams and glue laminated beams, trying to make crappy wood stronger by making it mini layers and with lots of glue. And that's what they want to build buildings 5 stories high out of flammable glue <laughs> and and wood. Yeah. Are they absolutely stupid or nuts? Or just so avaricious they don't care who they kill?
0: Yeah. Well, so there's the public land stuff, which obviously the forests have been hacked apart. And then there's private lands, which, yeah, in my estimation and based on everything I've seen, those are the ones that it's the hundreds of acres of just clear cuts. You go out to the coast range in Oregon, which is mountain range near the coast, obviously. And it's just it's just endless, just swathes of just hacked apart. But it's like, OK, so private land, what what can we really do about that? I'm not saying that it's not an issue. Not
1: much currently.
0: Yeah. That's, that's the problem.
1: It's it's, it's such a cultural war. Yeah. People believe they have a right to do anything they want to on their own private land. Well, they can't put a nuclear waste dump on their private land. Yep. They can't put a toxic uh, waste dump there. They can't, they can't put a hog farm right next to my house. Yep, it's true. There's lots of things that we zone and prevent bad behaviors on private property because it's going to have a negative impact on the people downwind, downhill, downstream, downtime. We don't let them do that. Yeah. Oh, but we let people log right up to my border? We published one Forest Voice that had national forests in seven states Showing an absolute war zone of strip mine logging right up to the boundaries of the national forests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the national forests surrounding Yellowstone have just been slaughtered. You know, you look at the, lo- the national forests surrounding Yosemite or other places, slaughtered. Yeah. You know, and, and they're not content. They want more. We thought, and the people in the industry thought, that nobody would be logging public forests after 1960 or 1980. Hmm. And yet that's all they're logging now is the steep slope backcountry we all thought was off limits. right? Just logistically, there was no way they could get it. Then they started using helicopters. Then they said, oh, to heck with it. We can put roads that will cause landslides in the future across that steep slope and log those trees too. Well, that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. When I started this, you never saw a clear cut from a a road. Most of our roads, east and west here in in the state of Oregon, they're right along the rivers. And you never saw a clear cut. Now you can't drive on a river road without seeing clear cuts. Yep. Right down to the river's edge, right down to the highway's edge. Yep. Why? Because they have already logged all of the backcountry. And now they're coming more and more into where it's going to annoy people. Yeah. But fishermen are complaining, yes, because the, they remove shade from the this upstream water sources, which makes the rivers warmer, and it kills more fish. And the, the steep slope logging all erodes causes soil landslides and and water siltation which degrades the water quality and then they spray poisons on those upstream upstream slopes mm-hmm. that then filter down into the rivers and streams Of course that's untouchable because that's that's an industry uh, demand and in Oregon timber industry wins
0: yeah. Still to this day. Well, there's been some efforts to push back over the years in terms of looking at taxation issues or putting buffers in terms of where they can spray herbicides because a lot of folks who live out in the rural communities get that shit sprayed on their houses. It's, It's pretty awful. It's basically a human rights abuse in that regard.
1: Oh, yes. It's always the same. Money doesn't talk. It screams and shouts. Yeah, that's why the, in a, the yeah. political world, where money, so many people think they're dependent on money, mm-hmm. they don't realize. Look at how much more money Bernie Sanders raised, talking to the people about issues that they're concerned with. The timber industry could do the same thing. Lo, the coal mining industry, they could do the same thing. Yeah. people, people have the power. The industry doesn't. But until it was explained to me that until. I can create so much pleasure or so much pain for a politician, they'll never listen to me. Yep. Currently, the people with unlimited amounts of money, they can cause that amount of pleasure. You do what we want, you'll get rich. Or pain, you don't do what we want, we'll get you destroyed or fired or defeat you. Right. But then if you do what I want and you you lose an election, We'll give you a job for life in one of our think tanks at twice the salary. They know how to grease it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you make a great point about how to reach a politician in terms of what influences them, which is money, but also their constituency. So in my mind, the way to do that is you have a unified movement where you have enough folks who can say, this is what we want. And in my opinion, the concept of zero cut on public lands is still that movement. The idea of bringing people around a concept that is simple, but at the same time makes sense—it draws a line in the sand, but it's not even unreasonable. Like you said,
1: most Teddy of the, Roosevelt did it a hundred years ago.
0: Well, sure, sure, but we can't
1: do it today.
0: It's worse now, is the thing. Back then, there was worse. tons of forest still. Now, those ecosystems are destroyed. So it's—I don't see how anyone who could could say that that's an unreasonable concept. Maybe not. You know, if we're protecting all private lands from any tree being cut, I don't think that's realistic. But public lands, some of the last intact-ish areas that we all universally own, why the hell not? So why why do you think environmental groups not only don't take that on, but they've pushed so hard against that?
1: Well, it was explained to me some time ago, the, the law of organizational dynamics. Most environmental groups were started by passionate, diehard, radical zealots (laughs) to save dirt or save water or save trees or save whales. But then as they started raising money to support their efforts, they had to get a, a general manager and a finance manager and a fundraising manager. And then those people, as the organization grew, became bigger and bigger departments. Until pretty soon, the financial people said, we've got to get rid of this radical guy. Yeah. He's, he's raising, making waves with our, our political relationships and our funding sources. And pretty soon, the management bureaucrats, the bean counters, take charge of all of the environmental organizations that have been around for a while. Yep. They yeah. don't want to make waves. They call it being politically pragmatic. I call it being a professional loser.
0: And it is. it does lose, because here's the thing. Let's just say they give it a try. Okay, let's try that way of doing environmentalism for, let's say, a decade or two. Okay, we've been trying that. We're not winning. We're losing, as you say. Isn't it time to try a different way?
1: Yes. Hell, Brock Evans at the Audubon Society said that in 89, one of the first meetings in Portland about the Ancient Forest Alliance.
0: 30 years later. So it's definitely worse than it was then.
1: (laughs) Yep. And he said, it's a war, not of our choosing, but we're in a war nonetheless. And the old ways of fighting this war don't work anymore. We've got to find new ways to fight off the insatiable corporations that are destroying our planet. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And we didn't do it. We came up with the damn option nine and, Salvage riders and that kind of stuff. Clinton threatened the environmental groups to go to go along with him. And they did. And he gave them a salvage rider and increased logging anyway. They're dead wrong. Their political calculus, you'd think they could at least do that right. And they didn't. Still don't.
0: Yeah. And and that's the thing. It'd be easy if we could just say, yeah, because it's just say Republicans like Trump that do this. And obviously Trump does terrible things for the environment, as have most Republicans. But the other option isn't really that much better. And at a certain point, we can't just go for the less bad, right?
1: No, it's always the same. Uh, Clinton was very bad. His people were very bad. They all deferred to the Carpenters Union and the Home Builders Unions and Home Builders Associations and the logging companies and the banks that fund them. They kowtowed to them. I believe that the Democrats are more destructive to the environment than the Republicans. Hmm. The Republicans make no bones about being our enemy. A hundred years ago, they were the environmental groups, they were the environmentalists. Not anymore. But
0: that's a good point, because when Obama does the same thing that Trump does, everyone let it go, who is in the environmental movement. But then when Trump does stuff, you're more likely to fight it. So it's almost better in some ways. And I'm certainly not advocating. I don't advocate for either party. But at least when you have a Republican in office, the environmental groups are going to fight back.
1: At least a little bit. They'll still cut their deals and cut the baby in half repeatedly. Yes. And claim it's a victory for the forests when it's nonsense. Good point. It's surrender. You know, yeah. but at least with the Republicans, you have an enemy that's in your face. Yeah. The far greater threat is the friend behind you with the knife in your back.
0: Yeah, well, that's s-
1: the Democrats.
0: Well, speaking of that, Obama so Obama
1: had Sally Jewell from REI, and right. she bragged about she, her plans to increase revenue from the national forests and the Bureau of Land Management lands by 20%. Hmm. That means more logging, mining, grazing, drilling. And destruction. That was a Democrat, Obama, nobody bitched.
0: Yep. You're right. Same right.
1: under Clinton. Nobody bitched.
0: I mean a few people did, but not the not but the mainstream environment. Yeah, yes. just us, basically.
1: Yep. But then they focused their enemy and their, their hostile fire on us. Yeah. The Democrats fought the progressive environmental protectors of, of earth and nature and life worse than they ever fight the Republicans.
0: I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. And, you know, you don't have to agree with everything that's in Planet of the Humans, the film that came out. But what's interesting about that is how a lot of it is saying enough is enough and how much environmentalists, mainstream environmentalists and the big greens pushed against that message. And then going back to the Democrats. So Senator Wyden, has been one of the biggest proponents for biomass energy. And biomass energy is mostly using trees for energy. So he, that was not coming from just solely Republicans. It was also coming from Republicans. But he was one of the biggest promoters of that for years, including to today. Basically, a whole idea of we need to cut forests to protect from wildfire, which is not backed in any science. And that's when I started realizing, wait a second, not only are the Democrats sometimes culpable – Sometimes they are the biggest proponents of these destructive policies. So that kind of blew my mind and made it so, yeah, I was not quite employable ever again.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's hard. We get blacklisted if we do what's right. Oh, yeah. In a, in a world of lies, telling the truth is considered a hostile and radical act. Yep. And we're the ones, the nail that sticks up, that gets pounded down the governor of California, a Democrat, Jerry Brown, signed a billion dollar new logging program for state forests hmm. to help prevent the spread of fires. And then you find in Oregon, both Merkley and Wyden, two senators, they've proposed a billion dollar increase in the logging program for national forests. Yep. When you consider that the logging program's 600 millions of taxpayer dollars already, to make it a billion six, is a huge increase in logging. And the first thing, if you care about survival of humanity, and when you realize life is hanging by a thread, the first thing you do is stop sawing away at the thread. And we do the opposite. Sierra Club, they're all for it. None of the big gangrene folks are saying, "Don't, don't do it. They're all being politically pragmatic, politically professional losers and they're collaborating with the enemy of all forests, and they're assuring that it'll go on. Yep. People understood when I was opposed, or the Native Forest Council and Zero Cut was opposed by the timber industry, people understood when the Forest Service even opposed Zero Cut. But nobody understood when Sierra Club opposed Zero Cut, or Audubon, or Wilderness Society, or the National Wildlife Federation, let alone the logging company that cares, the Nature Conservancy, (laughs) people had a hard time understanding that the League of Compromising Voters does not protect forests. It doesn't protect oceans. It doesn't protect jack shit. They are collaborators with the Democratic Party. They're part and parcel of the same beast. That's not good
0: yeah yeah but
1: again as long as the one person believes in saving them and has a spark of hope in in their breast hope is alive one person can make a difference just like a pebble in a pond you know you did something and you know it has an effect even when we cannot see it it has an effect we influence others None of us or few of us ever really think we've made a huge difference. We know we had a difference but we don't figure it's big enough difference. We, we stopped timber sales for a while but industry comes back and they rewrite it and come up with a new group of people and a new uh, watershed council to collaborate with their logging programs, and we lose. Yep. But I think the catastrophes and the calamities are so huge and so close, a lot of things are going to change. Can you believe that logging was considered an essential job?
0: Okay. Hmm. During the, the
1: pandemic? Huh. Longshoremen to ship raw logs to China was called an essential job? Yeah. Anyhow. That's That should make sense.
0: Well, it shows what the priorities, I think, of folks are. But here's the thing. There are a lot of people who care about these issues. And what I saw around Planet of the Humans, again, is just your average person coming out and saying, wait a second, why had nobody told me it was like this? And why had nobody told me that environmental groups are not always doing their job? Because that was also a main message of Planet of the Humans. You know, I don't support everything in Planet of the Humans. I'm okay with solar power and some wind, whatever. But... I think there are people out there. The problem is just the space is being taken up by the current existing forms of the environmental movement. And it's really hard to make them budge because they have a lot of the clout. They have the funding, and but they don't have the messaging. They don't really have any interesting ways of collab- getting people to kind of bring come together. So when there are movements like Zero Cut and stuff like that that break through, people latch on to it. The problem is, can we get that stuff out there anymore? I don't know.
1: No, it's very <laughs> difficult. Even on Facebook, they all want to censor it out as being a radical opinion. For sure. Contrary to the public interest.
0: Yep. But it's not, It's. not. I would say that there are enough folks though right now who are out there, and I'm trying to collect a lot of those interviews here in the Green Root Podcast, who are saying things that make sense but we're also fragmented in often our own little different universes that it's hard to come together on anything. And it doesn't mean that there has to be one uniting component, but a general concept. So I think there's still a possibility of that happening. I suppose we'll see. But one thing I wanted to talk about also was, so we have these environmental groups that are, they're made up of people, right? So that was the weird juxtaposition that I experienced. So here's an environmental group that is doing some good stuff, but then some stuff that isn't good. So maybe more harm than good. But then the person who works for the group I talked to, he's not a bad guy. And he almost agrees with me privately on a lot of the stuff. So what's going on with that? They're not all evil people who are working at these organizations.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard. I know there's peaceniks that are in the military. <laughs> but not a lot, and they're not dealt with well. And I think the same is true. There are people who think we should save what was left of the forests and get back what we've lost so that we might have a chance of survival. But if they stick up, they get pounded down. If they raise those points in an organization whose custom and culture is appeasement and compromise and collaboration with the enemy they don't last long.
0: Yep. Yeah. So they may want to speak up, but hey, they want to keep their job. This is their career. They need to feed their family. They're not yep. going to stick their necks out.
1: The golden handcuffs. One thing you were you spoke about the unified movement. Mm. We've tried that a few times and it's it's quickly infiltrated with yeah. naysayers. Right. We are not exclusive in our organizing. We usually say, y'all come. The doors are open. Come help us save the trees. And then some of the people that come in, just like undercover cops that are starting uh, violence in a protest, Mm -hmm. infiltrating for disruption and disturbance, well, they do the same thing in a unified Democratic Party. Look at how the centrists, the people who I don't think of as Democrats, run the Democratic Party. The Democratic National Committee, DNC, you know, began a little before Bill Clinton and Biden. But they were big, big with bragging about how they adopted the Republican playbook and beat them at their own game, raised even more money than they had from corporations. Well that's what they have done. A unified movement, we shouldn't be unified. We should get rid of the people who don't agree with our agenda, saving what's left. Mm-hmm. Get them out. Go be in some other movement. <laughs> the pro-logging, the wood products forever movement. But get out of the movement. Be expelled, tarred and feathered. I don't care, but get them out. The only people that should be in our movement are people that share the agenda and the commitment. 110% effort. Give no quarter, not another inch, not another square inch of trees, nothing. Stop already. Find a new way. When we created the Redwood National Park, we paid every dislocated worker 50 grand. That was 20 years ago or more. Hmm. Crime and Pete, we could do it again. We have to do it again. We have to demilitarize. We're spending 80%, 70% of our budget on the books and off the books for war that produces nothing positive for our world. Right. We're destroying the world for some defense contractors' profits. Well, for crime and Pete, we've got to refocus And like every sports team knows, if you want to build a winning team, you get rid of the losers, the people that don't want to, won't commit, won't Mm -hmm. work. Get them gone. And then you work to death and everybody becomes unified. That's a unity that works. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the only unity that works. Every big successful sports coach says the same thing. You've got to be exclusive, you've got to be dedicated, focused, and you've got to have that kind of discipline. Republicans have it. Democrats don't because Democrats are the the evil genies hiding behind the green curtain. Yeah, they well, don't want to. Well what they do you want think? To Keep their cushy jobs? Pensions for life. right. Health care for life. Oh, but they won't let you have it or I have it.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. So yeah, I agree with unifying around a message for sure. I I just think, uh, yeah, people are going to have differing opinions on certain things, but if you're on an environmental platform, we need to agree with some basic principles and I think you keep it simple. So like something like, here's the deal. We're saying that all public lands are preserves because those are the areas that we collectively own and they're some of the last best places. So Here's the line in the sand. If you're not down with it, you're not a part of our team. Absolutely. I I think that makes perfect sense. And it might not be that there can ever be some sort of movement like that in terms of legislation or taking over the environmental movement. But would you think that enough of that push can encourage or pressure the environmental groups to do a little bit closer to what makes sense? Do you think that's possible? Well, (laughs) not enough. less
1: so than it was when we started. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bill Clinton, he signed that Telecommunications Act that made monopoly practices by the media industry possible. Yeah. They're the ones that signed off on NAFTA, GATT, and WTO. Yep. You know, they are the ones that cost us 45 million American factory jobs, 45,000 factories shut down because Ross Perot was right when he said it was the giant sucking sound? Hmm. And it did. Do we ever talk about it or reflect upon it? No, Obama then had the TPP and other ones. New and improved trade agreements, bullshit. They were all pro-corporate. They are all pro-corporate. And they're anti-United States of American citizens. Every single one of them hurts American citizens. Lost jobs, lost future, lost security, lost tax equity. It goes on and on and on and on. Yep. It reminds me of 1930s Germany. And we're all distracted by wedge issues. Yes. So now where I was able to get certain environmental uh countervailing opinion into an article that was being written? Can't do it anymore.
0: Yes, you right.
1: corporations make that next to impossible. I can still do it on blogs and certain Internet sites, but hell, even Google and Facebook are starting to censor those Internet sites.
0: And it's not just the corporate masters, because my experience in the... Journalism world, which I am temporarily on sabbatical from because I was so disgusted by it So it's just sometimes even some of these smaller environmental journals who just have an editor who doesn't want to push the envelope That's what I experienced yep. recently and over the last several years. So
1: yeah. Planet of the Humans was a good example I've never seen so many lackluster kiss asses You know collaborators with the enemy Within the environmental movement, just come out and viscerally, and attack below the belt uh, problems with planet of the humans. Yeah. Which is- he, he didn't say he was. He was. All he was doing was starting a discussion. Yes. Around certain immutable facts, and the facts are real. We are in danger of losing our ability to survive on this planet because of human degradation and exploitation or extraction or destruction of nature. If you want to human life to exist, you got to defend nature in order to protect human life. And we're not doing it. Every single year, we destroy more at an even greater rate. You look at the big thing with Planet of the Humans, they said, we got to do something different. The people you're counting on and giving your money to aren't necessarily helping your issue. They tell you they are, but they're not. Yep. They use the issue to raise money, but then they don't use the money to save the issue.
0: Yep. Well, that's the thing. And so, yeah, like you said, they quote, eviscerated the film in terms of a bunch of half-assed commentary against the film without really addressing those underlying issues. And then they suppressed and censored any efforts to rebut that. As I experienced by trying to get an article published, I got rejected by 15 places that had run negative commentary on it. And I've been published by dozens and dozens of publications, including several of these ones that I that I um, submitted to. And it was like nothing else. Michael Moore, who is the executive producer and Jeff Gibbs, the director, they tried to submit pieces to rebut some of the statements made against them and those publications wouldn't run it. So it's it's right when you say the media yep. stuff, it's they're not letting us have our voice. But here's the thing. There are other conduits that are out there. So there there are ways for people who think a bit differently to start connecting. And there there's a torch that you help light, basically, several decades ago in terms of this environmental stuff, and there's some of us who are still carrying the torch, including you. You're still out there talking about stuff. You're still engaged in the conversation. There are people who are interested in this, and what would be your advice to those who see through the bullshit and want to engage in some way, but obviously they don't want to just be a part of the Sierra Club, and, and not that all of the Sierra Club is bad, but... It, Most of it is not doing what it needs to do. So what do people do? How do they engage?
1: Find local, you know, some hiking group. Find PR firm. Take courses in public relations or advertising or marketing. Uh, Talk about the use of language. They have the republicans have frank luntz who's a highly skilled incredible guy at distilling emotional issues into little phrases that nobody can argue with hmm. we have george lakoff he's a really sweet guy but he is not his equivalent frank luntz kicks george lakoff's ass all the time but then we're we're the nice people we're we're here for the public interest well That doesn't make you rich. If you're against that, that can make you rich. Republicans get rich killing the earth, hiring, corrupting politicians and judges. They get rich for everybody. And if money is the grease, if money is the measure of all things of worth, which it shouldn't be, but I believe it is, then we're toast. I look at the Obama and Bush who passed the Patriot Act and the National Defense Authorization Act. Made People don't realize just how bad and evil those two bills were and many other bills. They're, they're pointing two battle-hardened brigades at us. Two army bases are full of 5,000 people, two of them, who are there to point their guns at us, to quote, unquote, quell domestic civil unrest. Like they know it's coming, like they know they're planning for it. And the Patriot Act, between them, they're able to spend $600 million a year creating propaganda to influence public thinking in negative ways what the hell country do we live in? What kind of people are we? So it's got to be the teenagers. <laughs> in middle school and high school, kids learn computer programming or hacking or whatever it is they learn how to do with the games and stuff. It'll be, computers are going to be key, but again, one thermonuclear bomb up in the atmosphere, and most of our electronics all gone. So that's a pretty fragile foundation for our corporate world to live on. Mm-hmm. But still, at the moment, it's still there. I would, I know TikTok is a Chinese uh, substitute in many ways for Facebook. Mm-hmm. But now I hear see that Trump wants to get rid of TikTok
0: really? because
1: we don't control it. I see. Well. That's why I want TikTok. I don't use it, never have, but I want alternatives to things that the government and the corporate sector controls our information. I wanna control our information. I want all of us to control it. It should be a democratic thing. That's what I liked about Wikipedia for a long time. And now I see how industry sources are modifying Wikipedia entries all over the place to become more pro-industry and against the public interest. So freedom is not something you fight for and win and keep. Hmm. It's something you gotta fight for every single day. We're losing our civil rights, liberty and freedom. Corporations have stolen it. We've got to stop it by Eliminating corporate personhood and money is free speech. Those are two huge and vital campaigns. If we don't do those two things, nothing else we try to do has a a potential for success, at least is how I read the tea leaves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those are good. Those are really fundamental aspects of corporate personhood as in they count as human beings and therefore have all the rights of human beings and then money as free speech, which basically says corporations can spend as much money as possible to elect politicians. The thing is, who who are the politicians who come out against that, right? I know Bernie Sanders had saying we shouldn't be funding campaigns like this, but meanwhile I'm gonna fund my campaign with some don you know, corporate donations. I guess but I guess he did focus more on individual donations though, right? Yep,
1: yeah, he had the lowest Average contribution. Right. So it was almost all little people. Yep.
0: Yeah. But as long as he, he has to compete with Republic. corporate donations, that's a, that's a tough road to hoe.
1: Yeah. Plus, you see all these Republican packs for Biden. Right. Yeah, of course they're there. Trump's imploding himself. Yeah. So we're going to find Trump's equal, his substitute, his alternate Trump. Yeah who's a Democrat, they're far more alike than different.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I get it. And we're
1: being sold a bill of goods. We're being Mm -hmm. sold another rotten Democratic candidate that's worse than most Republicans. And he brags about it, just like McGrath running against O'Connell. She's a Trump Democrat. She's a militarist, a warmonger. Yep. He's not. Booker was the one we wanted. And they got rid of him. $40 million from McGrath. Booker did it with $700,000. Came within a squeak of winning. Of course, I think he did win. And they lied and cheated. In their counting. I don't believe McGrath won. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, that's going on all over the place.
0: No, but that's the thing. And what I appreciate about a lot of what you put out there is you don't just keep it in that environmental world. You explain, listen, there are deeper root causes that are behind this and we have to address those as well. And I do think that issue around corporations, so it's not just, Oh, the logging industry just popped up out of nowhere. It's, no, we afforded all of these protections to corporations for them to do pretty much whatever they want without having any real repercussions. And of course we, as we, the people purchase some of these products, but I don't think that we, require the way that say uh you know most of these products are produced we don't require the amount that is produced there are other alternatives but we're not really given those
1: choices nope nope and when you look people talk about uh medicare for all or single-payer universal health care yeah oh that's welfare no it's not Corporate subsidies are welfare. Sure. The monster, just look at this recent uh, coronavirus stimulus packages. 80, 90% of the money went to corporations. Those are not the people that are suffering. They have assets and borrowing power. The little people who were told 40 some million that they couldn't work anymore, they had to go home. They've lost their job, lost their income, lost their health insurance, and can't pay their rent. Most of those people haven't gotten their first unemployment check or their 1,200 stimulus. Mm -hmm. But corporations got almost 6 or $7 trillion in no questions asked, here's all the money you can use. They didn't even have to ask for it. It was pushed at them. Yep. Good Lord.
0: That's the we priorities, talk right? We've got to me about that, it. We that's what,
1: stop corporate plunder.
0: And that's what Obama did during the stimulus, right? There was a lot yep. of funding, and that's what funded a lot of biomass dollars. facilities.
1: Yep, Obama sent the banks $10 trillion and not one prosecution. Yep. SNL bailout during Republican times, they did.
0: Hmm. Right. So shut are you st- down
1: banks and foreclosed and put people in jail.
0: Do you think that it's viable for us to break the duopoly of the Democrats and Republicans or is that just we not have possible? To. Yeah.
1: No, it's, it may not, it may be I don't think anything is impossible. All right. But in the short term, yeah, I see it as being unlikely. Yeah. But look at Prospero. That fruitcake <laughs> made more sense than than Clinton or bush. Yeah. And because of Ross Perot he got Clinton elected with 25% of the vote. Right. Third party is vital. And if we keep diluting with lesser evil I know you guys wanted Bernie Sanders but we're going to force you to have Joe Biden. Right. The one that won't change anything, won't upset any corporate apple carts. Yeah, but he won't get any votes either. Nobody's going to get out of their chair and brave the coronavirus world <laughs> to go down to a polling station for 650,000 people like Louisville, Kentucky. Instead of 1,200 polling stations, they had one?
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's oh, true.
1: that election stands?
0: But what they... But they just put that specter of Trump over us. And obviously Trump is awful. I don't, I don't know any rational people don't think that he's doing lots of terrible things. But they did that with Bush, too. They're saying, well, look, Bush is terrible. We have to get the other, you know, we, we yeah. will, Bush will get elected. The other loser. But they still get reelected anyway. So it's almost yeah. like it doesn't even work.
1: Yep. Biden. Biden is a professional loser on national campaigns.
0: Yep.
1: Hillary was a professional loser on national campaigns. And you look at their platform messages and their campaign messaging, it's no wonder they lost. It was almost as if they were trying to lose. Yeah. You're all a bunch of shits. We don't like you nurses. We don't like you teachers. We don't like you $15 an hour minimum wage people. We don't like any of you. Get a life. Right. Get real. That's never going to happen. Well, why would somebody come out and vote for her on that message? For sure. Biden's got the same message. Hmm promises wall street nothing will change well if it doesn't change then we're dead
0: yeah so think, would you say you have <laughs> so what what is the likelihood that any of this will be turned around like if you were supposed to, if you were to put out a percentage of likelihood give us a number
1: <laughs> now you're going to bring out my negativity <laughs> Is it I don't think there's a chance in hell <laughs> this country will turn itself around and rescue itself. Okay. Every, every civilization in history has imploded before it was exploded, meaning that it killed itself from within with its own military uh, ambitions or its greed and its avarice and its inequality. That's what's killed every civilization. So far, it's looking like America will be the shortest-lived civilization on Earth. Some of those that imploded were 600 years old or 1,000 years old.
2: Yeah.
1: Ours is what? 300 years old or less? Mm-hmm. And we've been at war all but 13 of those years. <laughs> and all of our money is being taken out of the mouths of our children their health, education, and welfare, job programs, job securities, in order to give it to vultures and parasites that are draining the lifeblood of our country just so we can go have 66,000 special forces in 150 countries, Mm -hmm. presumably blowing up things and killing people, which is what they're trained to do. Oh, but we're going to bitch about suspected Russian meddling in our election while Israel is meddling a thousand times more and it's unmentionable? Come on, folks, wake up or accept your death or demise, long and slow or quick and easy.
0: But do you think that there is a point at which things can unravel enough where people finally start paying attention but have not unraveled so far as for it to be too late? Do you think that there is a window in which people can
1: act? I think people can always do something.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And the masses are more powerful than the the guns and bullets. Mm -hmm. You know, a long time ago, they had a national sit-down strike before I think I was even born. A uh, long time ago, but it brought the country to its knees. Iceland has done it. Other countries have done it. A national sit-down. We're not going to work anymore until you change this government.
2: Hmm.
1: And it happened. But trying to get our uh, American public, who's addicted to the tit of television, yeah, and they s- desperately seem addicted to that television, telling them what to think about what, They're told what issues are important and usually they're wedge issues, get all excited and bothered and hot and dirty. But the big issues don't get mentioned. The real issues that the public can do something about, we need a national sit-down strike. I think if all airline pilots and all truck drivers and all longshoremen shut down the ports, shut down the airports, shut down cities, if everybody got out of their chair and turned off the television and occupied Eugene, Oregon, or any other town, Mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of people, it might change. Well, that's what... I think they would meet us with the battalion of battle-hardened Iraq vets. Right. Tanks and bullets everywhere.
0: Well, so the BLM, the Black Lives Matter protest have been a little microcosm of that. So people got sick of a certain thing and they put themselves out there and it has caused a lot of attention, whether it's going to make any systemic change in terms of police brutality stuff, I don't know. But I don't
1: think so. but, Not but as least, long as we train our cops in Israel and get them from the military.
0: But the, but the public attention was called to an issue at least for a while in our short attention yep. span. So that shows it's possible.
1: But we yep, don't, that was very good.
0: We don't do that for the environment, though. We don't do that for the thing that sustains every potential social movement that's ever existed. Why do you think that is?
1: I think it's oppression, brainwashing, indoctrination, distraction, diversion, propaganda. We've never had so much propaganda 24-7.
0: So certain issues catch on, but other issues just fall by the wayside time and time again of which well look how long movement. police
1: have been shooting unarmed black people
0: yeah It's
1: been going on for decades oh yeah well, longer. and than it's that. On, been on the increase since 92 93 that tough on crime legislation Clinton signed that Biden helped write tripling or quadrupling prison population right adding a hundred thousand cops to our streets and training them in Israel or in the military. Giving $38 billion worth of the military surplus weapons and hardware to municipal police forces all over the country.
0: Yeah. Militarizing. What the Yeah, that's been going on for a while, the militarization. And that's not a right-left issue. That's a, both oh. sides do it.
1: Yes. 30 years. Yeah. We are we are facing a disastrous, apocalyptic calamity. And it's bigger and closer than most of us can imagine. Mm -hmm. And I don't see any pretty coming.
0: Well, and I think that's a fair thing to point out. I mean, coming back again to Planet of the Human, just because that is something that went out there into the public consciousness, It wasn't, oh, here are the little specific details about what we think might pave over this little issue a little bit. They're saying we have to confront the reality of what we're dealing with if we are to do anything meaningful. And I agree 100% because a lot of times we don't really we don't really confront it in the proper way. So until we realize that the environmental groups are not really advocating for the environment, until we realize that the Democrats are not that much better than the Republicans and in some ways can actually be worse, then we're not going to move forward in any way. And so then they say, oh, you're dooming and glooming by daring to talk about that. Well, we have to start there. We have to accept where we're at if we're going to move forward in any way. And so I fully support putting out stuff like that. I don't know the answers. I don't have solutions or anything like that, but I know that we can't come up with the answers if we don't have the right questions. So,
1: I think the answers are common sense, and most of us have them. Yeah. I think most of us do know the solutions. As long as the nuclear industry is indemnified... For most of its costs, if there's a nuclear reactor explosion Mm -hmm. and it's $10 billion worth of damage, they only have to pay $100 million. Mm. The public pays for the rest. And that's true for most corporations. All they have to do is declare bankruptcy, like the Bhopal one, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: bankruptcy. Now we don't have to pay a dime. Exxon Valdez oil spill. It should have been fifty billion dollars of expense to the people of Alaska. Instead they got it down to five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Or five hundred million? I don't remember what it was, but some small amount. Mm-hmm. The courts ruled pretty still pretty big amount, ten or fifteen billion, but then it was reduced to five hundred million or something. And some people I know still haven't gotten their first dollar from even that settlement. We subsidize corporations. One thing, back on the planet of the humans, Hmm. the the point that I think was most important, and it wasn't made as well as I thought it, it could have been, is that every alternative energy source has never once reduced pollution output. Yes. Because pollution grows everywhere. All we do with alternative energy source is add it to the supply of energy, which causes industries to expand even further and destroy even more natural resources to make their expansion possible yes and that's that's the point I think they were trying to make, but instead they just say solar is bad or.
0: Right. I mean they yeah, the they made days, that point really that bad. they did make that point that you said but very briefly and I agree yeah. not as expansive as they could people, have.
1: People overlooked it. They didn't register that that was a seminal point.
0: Right. Right. It's like, "All right, you can put in some other less impactful energy sources. I'm fine with putting in some more solar. That's fine. But as long as we keep expanding the monster" That doesn't mean anything, and it can be harmful because we're not looking at what we're actually doing. We're pretending that it's all fine because we're putting in a few solar panels here and there. It's just, uh, but I think it's too complex for a lot of people to understand. And uh, I don't know. It's it's the conversations though are necessary, and these days it's hard to have conversations in the public forum, but luckily we do have alternative ways to do it, such as podcasts, such as the Green Root Podcast. So obviously I'm not pretending that this podcast alone is going to accomplish very much, but if more of us are putting out our ideas like that, I think people are hungry for it. And that's what I saw with Planet of the Humans. You didn't see it in the media because they obscured it. But if you look at the comments on YouTube, they're, I would say, 95% favorable, So here's just your average person saying, you really woke me up. I care about this. Oh, maybe I don't agree with this thing, but I think this is a great point. Those are the folks that I think we can engage. And maybe those are the younger generation. And so maybe it's our generations where you're the, I guess you're the, are you the boomer generation? And then uh, I'm basically generation X. Maybe we're not going to change folks like ours mind if we're not already on this side, but the younger folks, maybe we can.
1: Yep. I'm old, I'm 75 years old. I've been at this for a while, I've seen a lot, but I have less reason for hopeful optimism today than I used to. <laughs> and the, the biggest power we have when we share our stories is the infectious sincerity and enthusiasm we present. Yep. And that's become more difficult for me. I I still have passion. I still have a real opinionated backbone but it's still hard for me to spend the energy to communicate it yeah because i'm too damn depressed (laughs) i look at the fact i'm a data news junkie
2: yeah
1: i cruise it and collate it and redistribute what i consider to be the most creamy parts good and bad but that's even that i see you know they've manipulated so that more and more people don't get to see what i put, put put out
2: oh yeah Right.
1: And I used to get it even with the Stumps Don't Lie news list.
2: Mm.
1: You know, people would infiltrate it and then corrupt it or Sure. <sighs> it's it's so easy. We need we need Frank Luntz, we need Tom Bain Payne. You know. We need that simple lay language messaging to every American. This is what's important, this is what we're losing. And this is what we can do to stop it. Yeah. And some of that is all basic. The carbon tax reduces energy consumption. It should be a huge carbon tax, just like we should put a huge tax on stock transactions.
2: Hmm.
1: Not a quarter of 1% like Peter DeFazio's promoted. Hmm. One quarter of 1% to prevent stock speculation driving the market up and driving it down, picking the pockets of the little investors. That's what we know is a solution. Cap and trade, cap and dividend, it doesn't do it. That does not reduce energy consumption. That does not reduce, reduce pollution. Yep. We need to reduce pollution. We can't clean up the whole blasted atmosphere, carbon capture, We've got methane going out. We have methyl bromide going out. We have all kinds of ozone-depleting chemicals going out daily. We don't stop it because we're afraid to go after the big financial interests. Mm -hmm. Hell, if we forbade it, if we said to the nuclear power industry, you can't have a nuclear power plant unless you can get a safe way of disposal. Right they would come up with a safe way of disposal. Otherwise, it's not worth them investing in the research if we keep immunizing them. And we could do the same. If your car doesn't get 50 miles to the gallon, hell, make driving cars, individual cars, extremely expensive. And then people would invest in a public transit system, high-speed rail, China has 20,000 miles of high-speed rail, and we don't have one? Oh, but we hate China. They're so bad. Oh, but they're doing a lot of good. Why aren't we doing a lot of good?
0: Yeah, I think you speak a lot of truth in terms of we have to be sober about these realities, and maybe that's... Maybe you're like a doctor that gives a diagnosis about a health condition. And then you could say, oh, doctor, why did you tell me I have a heart condition? Why are you being so negative? Like, well, I'm trying to save your life. And then, yeah, you...
1: can't you just prescribe <laughs> bed rest and a glass of orange juice and two aspirin? No, no, that won't save your life. Right. But I don't want to hear that other stuff.
0: I think okay. that's I think that's what Good it comes plan. down to. People don't want to hear it, and but we have to accept it. We have to go to that dark night of the soul in order to move forward. And I think that's where we're at right now. And I don't personally I vacillate between between the doom and gloom and optimism. I'm probably somewhere in the middle there, but I do know that we have to take a look at the things that are not working and we have to take a long, hard look and collectively we have not done so on hardly any issues and certainly not the environmental issues. So I think it's really, really important for us to do that because until you take that into your consciousness, you're not going to move forward in any way that makes sense. You're just going to say, oh, well, guess what? We're going to prop up a few solar panels and save the day. It's like, really? I'm fine. Sure. Put up some solar panels. Do it on my house. That's great. I rent, so I don't have that option. But that's not enough. And only if you have that dark night of the soul do you realize that's not enough. So I think it's important. I think people have to hear this message. Amen. Well, probably going to get going, Tim. But thank you so much for taking the time for, to talking me about this stuff. You've definitely loomed large in my life in terms of all these environmental issues and you're continuing to put this out into the world and there are others who are also doing it. So they're carrying your torch on. So you're not done yet, not suggesting that, but I think it's important to realize that that is still progressing in this world and thanks to you.
1: Yep, thanks to all those like me. Yeah, there's a lot of people. And unfortunately, the military's doing a lot of it.
0: <laughs> well, that's true. That's that's an issue for another day, but thanks again Tim computer- for coming on the podcast.
1: You bet. Take care anytime.